0: All right, so this morning we're going to continue our series, and, and let me just give a couple of shout outs real quick. Um, as many of you know, uh, Pastor Jonathan leads our worship team up here, but he is a man of many talents. And uh, not only does he work two jobs, but apparently this week he learned how to be an electrician and how to be a lighting guy. So uh, last Sunday, we, have, um, we had lights up here um, that went out on us last Sunday. As a matter of fact, we had four lights that completely went out, and I got to thinking, someone asked me, I, I was talking to the finance team, I was like, hey guys, I, we're going to have to buy some more lights. Like, our lights literally died on us, and, um, and a question was asked, They're like, well, how long have we even had those lights? When we first started the church 12 years ago, Beverly, has it been 12 years? Is that what we, have we made that up? 10 years, 12 years? Bev can't hear me, um, so it doesn't matter, I'm just talking to myself, Randy knows. Um, when we first started our church, we didn't have any lights, and so... We went to um, some, some music store in, in Birmingham. I can't think of the name of it right now. We go to the music store to buy lights, and the lights were so expensive uh, for us at the time. And we literally walked outside, and when we walked outside, there was a guy in a pickup truck with a trailer, a flatbed trailer, full of old beat-up lights and sound equipment. And I was like, how much do you want for that? And he was like, if you give me a thousand bucks, I'll give you the whole trailer full of stuff. And I was like, sold so we bought all these old so who knows how old the lights were Before we got them, they were probably 20 years old before we got them. And then we came in and installed them in every building we've been in. Every place we've been, we've traveled with these lights. They were on stands when we were at the skate center. Um, Got knocked over by some kids one time. They were mounted in the little bar at 10 Valley where we had church. And now they came here with us. So um, it's about time they died on us. Like we were glad to get rid of those lights. We're thankful for their service. But Pastor Jonathan was up here even on his off day. Working two jobs, came up here on his off day. In that lift, that scissor lift that you saw outside that the people never came to pick up, um, he was in here, and he's afraid of heights. And he had to go all the way up here and do all this lighting. We added new lights in here, and Pastor Jonathan did all that. So let's give Pastor Jonathan a big hand. And um, I told him I was really busy, and so I couldn't come. And I was taking a nap, and so you know how it is No. Um, All right, so today we're going to continue on our series called Culture Shock. Culture Shock. And so the idea here is that we really want to learn um, in today's uh, times, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? And we said last week, like, we don't even like the word Christian anymore, really, because uh, the, the word Christian has become such a cultural term that just kind of means whatever you want it to mean. Like, people can call themselves a Christian. They don't go to church. They call themselves a Christian. They don't live by the, the, word, of the, the word of God. They call themselves a Christian. They don't even follow the teachings of Christ. Like... I don't understand why you would call yourself a Christian at that point. But but they call themselves a Christian and they don't do what the Bible says. And so our philosophy, our thought was, what does it mean to really be a Christ follower? And and how is that shocking? Not only to the culture that we live in, but even to our church culture that we create over the course of of time. And so today's message, last week we talked about that we believe deeply. And a Christ follower will believe deeply. Today we want to talk about a Christ follower is devoted to. Not distracted, devoted. Not distracted, and and we live in a place where devotion is a common term, right? Like like you and I, if you live in the South. Now, some of y'all aren't from the South, right? Bobby, you're not originally from the South, right? Uh, we got folks from South Africa. They're they're from the South, but a different South, very different South, right? In the South, we have this devotion to something called college football, and it is amazing. Right. Right. We are so devoted to college football in the South. It's it's crazy to see the stuff that that we see. I mean, I mean, the people in the state of Alabama are so devoted to college football that when Auburn beat Alabama a few years back, a guy went and poisoned the trees at Toomer's Corner. He was so mad. And then six years later, uh, when Auburn beat LSU, a student at Auburn, a guy that lived in Auburn, went and set those same trees on fire. I mean, we're crazy about football. We're so crazy. There's a guy, I, I don't have permission to show his picture. If I did, um, I'm sure Facebook and YouTube would flag us. But there's a guy named Nathan Davis. That is, and maybe some of you, I wish someone knew him. Man, that'd be so cool if Nathan Davis had a friend in here. But there's a guy named Nathan Davis, and he's an Alabama football fan. And I was, I was just looking up, when I was doing my research, I was looking up like, some of the wildest, craziest fans. And I found Nathan Davis. And Nathan Davis has tattoos all over his body. From, uh, of Alabama stuff. It's all about, not Alabama the state. Now, my, my guys that aren't from the south, you know, it's not Alabama the state. He didn't have like a yellowhammer bird on his chest, right? He doesn't have like, like Lake Gunnersville on his chest. No, no, no. This dude has Alabama football tattoos. Like he's got some quarterback on one peck and got a coach on the other peck. I don't even know who these people are. Maybe Sabin and who knows. But on his back, this is the one that was amazing to me. On his back, in full color, and Nathan Davis is not a little guy. He's a pretty big fella. From, from the base of his neck to the top of his pants, from shoulder blade to shoulder blade, my man's got Bear Bryant leaning up against a goalpost. Crimson jacket on. He's got the full goalpost in the picture, full color on his back. Do you know how much devotion you have to have to a team to get a picture of a dead coach all over your back? You got to have a lot of devotion to your team. Jay's tattoo of Bear Bryant's much smaller than that, right? <laughs> much smaller tattoo. The the idea though is in the south we get so devoted to college football. I mean, we're crazy about college football. We will sit in the rain to watch our favorite team play. We will stay up late at night to watch our team play. We will pay extra cable. Like we'll, we'll buy the subscriptions just so we can see LSU play New Mexico State of the Union uh, School for the Blind. It doesn't matter as long as we're getting to see our team play. Right? And we're wild about it. And, and so we, we use that cliche a lot in church to talk about how we should be just as devoted for Christ. But, but I really just want to set up today the idea of what devotion means. Devotion means that you're willing to do anything and everything for something that you really love, right? When you're devoted to something, you're willing to do anything for it. And that's why it's so important. We talk to people about, in marriage counseling, we say, you've got to be devoted to your spouse. You have to be willing. The Bible says that a good husband is willing to lay down his life for his bride. Why? Because he is fully devoted to that marriage and to that spouse. And so, so the idea of devotion is going to be big today. We're also going to throw in the word di- uh, distraction today. We're going to throw in the word distraction. And some of you may have come into church and you may already be distracted. How many of you have already been distracted today from something? Yeah, a lot of us have. We get distracted all the time. It's a, it's a part of life. Um, my, my wife gets distracted very easily. We call, it, uh, we call it getting squirrely at our house. Remember the, the Disney movie Up? Anybody ever watch the Disney movie? Okay, you, y'all, y'all ban Disney at your house. Um, so the Disney movie up, little old man, he's got the balloons, puts them on his house. His house flies up in the air. Super cool story. I would love to try it. Um, but flies up in the air in his house, and he flies his house to South America, gets to South America, meets a dog that can talk. Dog's name is Doug. I can't believe I know all this stuff. This is amazing. <laughs> I cannot remember my son's age, but I can tell you that the dog in Up's name is Doug. And so Doug shows up, and every time Doug's having a conversation with the little old man and the little boy that's with him, every time they're having a conversation, as soon as Doug gets distracted, he goes, squirrel. And he'll come back to the conversation, squirrel, right? And he does that. My dog does that. If you take my dog for a walk and a squirrel runs by, she will snatch your arm off trying to get to that squirrel. But my wife also does that. And I can talk about her because she's not here this morning. And not only is she not here today, she's at church with her parents, so she's definitely not even watching this. So I'm totally in the clear, unless some of you jokers tell her, which y'all always do. So my wife sometimes will be like, I'm going to um, go into Colt's room and I'm going to help Colt make up his bed. I'm like, all right, cool. Go help Colt make up his bed. And then three hours later, like I'll leave and I'll come back home. And three hours later, she's still in Colt's room. I was like, there's no way a twin bed is that hard to make up. And I'll go in there and everything in Colt's closet has been pulled out on the floor and is all being organized into Tupperwares and bags. And she's got a trash pile and a giveaway pile. And she has completely remodeled this whole room. I'm like, what are you doing? It's a school night. It's midnight and you're reorganizing. And she's like, I got squirrely. I got squirrels, She just sees something, and then she goes off and does it. She gets distracted very easily. But if you give her a cell phone and put her in a car, she has the uncanny ability to not be distracted by any crying or screaming children. It's amazing. I'll be driving when our kids were younger, and, uh, and we would be driving to Florida for, for vacation, and we'd have to drive 12 hours every summer, 12 hours there, 12 hours back. It's the worst part of our vacation ever. And and so we'd be driving and I would drive the whole way because I'm prideful and I'm a man. And men should drive, right? Um, That's so stupid. I don't know why I do that. I hate driving. It's the worst. And so I'll be driving along. And the kids were younger and the kids would be yelling and screaming and hitting people. And they crossed my line and he took my Cheerios and all this kind of stuff happening behind us. And Perry would have her phone. And that was it, man. She was zoned in. There was nothing... Nothing could distract her like stuff's hitting her in the head. They're saying, mommy, mommy, mommy. She's just zoned like she has the ability to just not be distracted. So it's amazing how we can be super distracted and at the same time not be. Well, there's some people in the Bible that were very devoted. So we'll get back to our word devoted. There's some people in the Bible that were very devoted in the book of Acts. This is what is called the birth of the church. So before the book of Acts happens, you just have some disciples following Christ. And so Jesus is on earth, he's walking around, he's doing miracles. Uh, he's got disciples following him. And, and there's all kinds of numbers of people that, that are following Christ. We we read most often about the twelve, but the Bible says that that not only were there the twelve, but then there were other people that hung out with them too. And and that number balloons up. There's times when he sends out uh, seventy, right? And so there's a seventy, and then that number balloons up at the at the book of Acts. There's 120 people that are all devoted Christ followers. And, and so in that moment, and we, we did this in the last series, we talked about Acts chapter 2, the Bible says the Holy Spirit shows up in the lives of the believers. And, and when the Holy Spirit shows up, there, there's this big manifestation, and the, the believers, uh, the, the Christ followers, they're all speaking in other languages, worshiping God, and people in the street can hear them speaking in their languages. So they begin to ask questions. At that point, the Bible says Peter steps up, as he always does in the Bible. If you ever read your New Testament, um, you'll like Peter a lot. Uh, So Peter steps up and says, I'm going to preach. He begins to preach, and when he preaches, the Bible says 3,000 people decided to become Christ's followers that day. It's an amazing story. But then there's this little part at the end of Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, going to verse 47. So five verses that I just find fascinating, and they call this the birth of the church. This is what happens... After everybody decides to become Christ followers, now what? Right? Like, like now what do you do? So here's what the Bible says that they did. Starting in verse 42. And they devoted, there's our word devotion, right? They're, They're devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them uh, the proceeds uh, to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to just very quickly look at a couple of things that these first Christians devoted themselves to they devoted themselves to a couple of things the first thing that says they devoted themselves to was to the apostles teaching they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching now i want you to notice something it does not say it does not say they devoted themselves to the apostles this is huge in our culture if we're talking about being culture shock and having some some shocking things in church culture today what we tend to do is we tend to elevate the pastors ...and the preachers into some sort of um, celebrity status... ...and they have their own followers. But The Bible says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word of God... ...not to the apostles themselves. This is a huge culture shift for a lot of people. When you look around our nation right now especially in america when you look around what's happening you'll see the, the the rise and i see this all the time the rise of the celebrity pastor and it's where the pastor himself or herself is being celebrated and being put on a pedestal before jesus is but i like how this is, this says they were devoted to the teachings one thing we need to be devoted to guys is the teaching of the word We need to be devoted to God's word. One of the things you're going to hear me say all the time in here is is I don't expect for you to just follow everything I say blindly. Like you have all the same tools I do. This is the most powerful Bible tool you can you can own right here. There are commentaries. There's all kind of places. I, I, I was uh, one of the things that we do here. Like whenever I, I study, I tell you guys all the time: get the Bible app. We support you Version Bible app. I want you all to have it. Why? Because you can look up every scripture right here on on, the, on your phone. Not only can you look it up, you can have it read it to you. Right. So whenever I'm getting ready in the mornings, when my wife is getting ready in the mornings and it's time for our Bible reading, the way we get our day started, we get started by hitting the play button and we listen through the Bible. We can read along with it. We can listen to it. It's important for you not to depend on the word of God only coming from right here. You should be devoted to God's word on your own. You have all the same tools I do. People ask me all the time, they're like, well, Gabriel, what kind of websites do you go to, what kind of places do you do whenever you're looking stuff up, whenever you're studying what do you, and I tell them all the time I'll give you a list of all the places, all the websites all the things that I do, that I look up that I, that I do that stuff with So you should be devoted to the teachings. I should be devoted to the teachings, not to the apostles, but to the teaching. The second thing that they were devoted to is they were devoted to fellowship. First Thessalonians 5.11 says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. It is important, guys, that we are devoted to fellowship. What does that mean? That means we should be friends. We should have fun together. We should hang out. One of the things I love that, that we do in our church is we have that little family time. Now, that little family time is only three minutes. I know it's not long. I know you can't develop a full relationship in three minutes, although some teenagers try to. I know you can't do that, right? But it's important to you, for you to get out like what, what my dad said this morning. Get out and just meet somebody new. You never know what you're going to spark up whenever you meet someone new, when you ask someone a question. It's important that we have fellowship and we we cultivate that and we are devoted to it. One of the worst things that I feel like came out of the whole COVID-19 situation was the idea of isolation. Now, maybe that was legit. Maybe that was what needed to happen. I'm not not here to argue politics with you um, or conspiracy theories. But one of the things I don't like about it is the whole isolation portion of it. What happened is we begin to lose the personal relationships that we have with people. We've got to have fellowship with each other. It's so important. It's so important. We've got to learn how to get along with each other, how to love each other, how to encourage each other. I love how Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another and build one another up. Listen, we are all going through problems and issues. Everybody has an issue. Everybody has something that's going on, right? If you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, I don't have any issues, chances are you are somebody's issue. Right. Like we all have some stuff happening in our life, and that's why we've got to lean on and depend on one another to help each other out. We need each other in our lives to to build each other up, encourage each other. Number three, it says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. Breaking of bread means communion. Now, now communion is something that we probably as a church need to do more of here. Right. Don't amen so loud when I say something bad about me. We probably probably need to do more communion here. But communion is one of those things that the early church devoted themselves to. Why is that so important? Is it important to drink grape juice and crackers? No, that's that's not important. I mean, you can drink it all you want and eat all the crackers you want. But the idea of communion is to remember Christ, to remember what he did for us. And they said, listen, if we're going to be devoted to some stuff, we're going to be devoted to remembering what Jesus did. He's not here with us anymore, so we got to do every, everything we can to remember him. I remember somebody one time, we, um, we had a family in church, and, and uh, the, the lady in our church, she passed away. She was an older lady. She had been sick for a while, and she passed away. And I remember going to her family's house and sitting down with the family members and praying with them and kind of talking through some of that stuff. And, and one of the things that was right at... I'm wanting to say it was right at Thanksgiving time, you know, getting close to Christmas. And, and, um, and I remember the, the daughter said to me, she said, I don't even know if we can do a Christmas tree this year. It was my mom's favorite thing to put up the Christmas tree. And I just don't think I can do it. And I said, you know what? I said, you do what you want. I said, but here's my advice. My advice is you put up that Christmas tree. Like you put up the Christmas tree and you put every ornament on it and you do it just like your mama did. And she was like, really? I said, yes, because you need to remember your mom. You don't need to forget You don't need to put stuff aside and forget about what she did. You need to remember her over and over and over again. Remember the good things that she did. And when these guys took communion, it was all about remembering Christ. Remembering his sacrifice. Remembering his love. Remembering the fellowship that he had with them. The other thing that they did is they prayed. So they broke bread, they had communion, and they prayed. And and prayer was key in that early church. I'm going to tell you something, man. To be honest with you, like if, if we're just saying today... If you're like, man, that pastor preaches at me, can I just tell you I don't preach at you, I preach at me too. And this is one of the ones that's getting me today. Like we need, even as a church, as a pastor, we need more communion, we need more prayer. You're never going to go wrong with communion and prayer. Like you can't mess that up. Like those are pretty simple things to do. I, I, I get to thinking about the idea of prayer, and it's so funny to me. Like, if, if I were to tell you guys, that or to tell anybody, let's not, let's not use Gateway as an example. Let's just use any church as an example. If we were going to say, okay, we're going to have Craig Groeschel is going to come speak at our church. Or we're going to get, uh, you know, uh, I'm scared to say names of pastors because I'm, I'm sure I'm going to say one that's like fallen or something like that. And everybody's going to let me know. Um, we're going we're gonna to get whatever big name celebrity pastor to come in and speak. Man, we would pack the house out, Right? We wouldn't have room to put people if we could get. But if we said, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Right. I don't even have to finish the sentence like, you know, like you're laughing because you're like, yeah, I wouldn't come like, you know, we had prayer one time and it was me and my family. And I was like. We can do this at home. Like, this is not like, this is not what I'm, what I wanted to do here. So, so there's this idea. I think sometimes that we're not, there's some things we're not devoted to and prayer sometimes ends up being one of the things we're not devoted to. Yeah, we'll pray at home. We'll pray on our own. But what about that corporate? Hey, let's all get together and pray. Something to be thinking about. This is something that we need to be moving forward as we're thinking about culture shock. It's not just about shocking the culture out there. Sometimes it's about shocking the culture in here. Prayer needs to be something that we're devoted to. There's a story that, there's a story where Peter was um, locked in prison in the book of Acts. He was locked in prison and had a miraculous escape from prison. The Bible says the angel showed up. When the angel showed up, it says he even had to slap Peter around a little bit to wake him up. Because Peter was like, he was out, man. He was snoozing. Slaps Peter around a little bit. Breaks the chains off his hands and feet. And the Bible says that Peter walks through every door, begins to open as he walks out. When Peter walks out, he goes to the house where the believers were hanging out. And the Bible says they were all praying. It was like midnight and they were still praying. Now their celebrity pastor, Peter, wasn't there. He was in prison. So what did they do? They just got together and prayed. And as they prayed, God began to open up doors and begin to break chains off of people's lives. That's why it was important for me this morning to get up and say, hey, let's interrupt what we're doing to pray. Let's pray for Jamie today. Let's pray for Sonny today, because I believe in the power of corporate prayer. I believe that us praying together can have a big effect on other people. The fourth thing that it says that they were devoted to was generosity. It said they sold all their stuff. They gave to people as they needed. Their goal was not to be um, where one person had everything and one person had nothing. Their goal was to make sure everybody had what they needed. Now, this wasn't like a communist society, but it was an area where they wanted to make sure everyone was taken care of. And I think that's a heart thing. That's something that we need to be devoted to is 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 what are the what does it take for me to make sure that the people around me have what they need? I think that's why it's important. Next Sunday, we're going to be having our our new members class. So If you want to join Gateway Family Church next Sunday, we're going to be doing a lunch for you. It'll be free. But part of the reason that we want to do that, because people have asked me all the time, why, why do I need to be a church member? Like, can I just show up and go to church? Absolutely, you can. You don't have to be a member of anything. But I feel like it's so important to know that, that there are people that have my back. There are people that when I'm struggling, they're going to pray for me. Whenever, whenever I'm without, they're going to support me. And they're going to pick me up. And they're going to provide for me. We need to know who we can count on in church. And I love the fact that these people were generous... But it wasn't just giving to any random thing. It was taking care of the family. The fifth thing and the last thing that they were devoted to was attending the temple and meeting in homes. I love that. I love that. Attending the temple together, meeting in homes together. What were they doing? They were going to church and they were going to small groups. They were going to church and they were going to small groups. They had two aspects of, of church life that they bought into that they devoted themselves to. And we need to be devoted to doing what? To going to church together, man, to hanging out with each other and to going to small groups. The next month, we're going to in October, we're going to start doing some small groups. So right? I want you guys to get plugged in. If you if you don't know what small group to join, just make one up. Grab your friends and start your own. It's important that we have small groups. Why? Because we got to have that place where we can all grow together. We need to have that place where we can all grow together, where we can hang out with each other, where we can have that fellowship and that prayer and that communion. And that happens in small groups. It also happens in church. Like, like this is important that we meet with each other. Again, going back to our idea of what some of the bad things that happened during COVID. I mean, I can't tell you how many churches, uh, pastors that I talked to that, I mean, they just could not get people to come back to church once they left, once they went remote. And those cameras are great. And I thank God for the cameras so that when I'm out of town or you're out of town or we have to be somewhere, we can always catch up and keep, keep touch with what's happening. But listen, that should not be our only form of church. It's not for you. You're here. So if you're watching me this morning, this should not be your only form of church. Like it's not about watching it on a screen. It's about being a part of a body, being a part of a family. So I love that. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 um, I put the wrong the wrong uh version in there but you'll get the point it says this in the new living translation it says and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near Paul uh, the writer of Hebrews says hey man we need to stay together Now they got a little bit different we get distracted right We get distracted and we don't go to church. We get distracted and we don't go to small groups. We get distracted and we don't do fellowship with each other. We allow ourselves to be distracted by all kinds of things and therefore it hinders some of these devotions that we need to have in life. These guys were being distracted too, but they were being distracted by people trying to murder them. Little bit different. Different. Right. A little bit different than uh, I I just woke up a little late and I didn't want to have to get ready. So I just stayed in my pajamas. Right. A little bit different. Someone's trying to actively murder them. And these guys are like, hey, we need to stay together. Like, I know they're looking for groups. I know they're going to homes. I know they're going to the temple. I know people are searching us out, but we need to stay together. And I can hear the one guy in the back going, if we would just separate, they couldn't catch us all. But the guys like, no, we got to get together. It's important that we meet together. And today it's important that we're not distracted from doing the things that we need to be doing. There's a lot of things that can distract us. I did a little study and I found out, um, I found out this, that just in the workplace alone, we just look at the workplace. In this survey that I read, it says nearly seven out of ten people say emails have a negative effect on their quality of work. Emails have a negative effect on their quality of work. 70% of people say that because they're so distracted by the emails. Here's one that I thought was funny. 56% of individuals report doing their best quality work outside of the normal workday due to digital distractions and the need for greater focus. People are saying, I can't even go to work and get my work done because I'm so distracted by all of the things happening while I'm at work. I read another study that said that people are so distracted while they're at work that they literally lose eight hours a week. That's a whole work day. Eight hours a week being distracted by devices and emails and text messages and social media. I mean, we are very distracted. All you got to do to find out how distracted we are as a nation is drive down the street. Stop at a stop sign and look to your right and look to your left and see how many people are in their cars doing this. Right? They're distracted. People have car accidents all the time because they're doing this. Not because they're drunk, not because they're high, not because they're driving too fast, but because they're doing this. I may be one of those sinners, right? But it becomes a distraction. It becomes a distraction to us. So it's important that we learn to to get rid of these distractions. So what are some of the distractions? I've got got three, maybe four, probably just three distractions that I want to talk about real quick. And then we'll be done with the message. The first distraction is the distraction of weeds. Not weed. Not weed. Weeds. Weed can probably be a distraction too. I don't know. I don't smoke it. But I'm sure it can be. Weeds. Weeds. Plural. Weeds. Plural. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus teaches, and one of the things he teaches is he says that there was a, there was a sower. It's a parable. It's, it's not a real story. It's, it's, a, it's a parable that he made up to help teach a lesson. So he says there was a man that he was trying to sow a field, trying to plant seeds. As he goes around planting seeds, it says some of the seeds fell on, um, fell on the path. It says the birds came and ate it. Some of the seeds fell on rocky soil, and the the seeds tried to grow, but the roots were very shallow. And so whenever the heat came, the seeds withered up and died, the the plants withered up and died. And, And he says that the seed fell in good soil. Some seed fell in good soil, and it produced big crops and was wonderful. But there was this one area that he said the seeds fell in also, and it was the area of weeds. It said that the seeds fell in with a bunch of weeds. And so whenever he was explaining the parable, he, he begins to say that the seed is the word of God and, and the seed is sown. Sometimes it's on rocky soil or, or soil that, that, that's flattened out and, and, and it just doesn't even ever take. Sometimes it falls on, the, like I said, the rocky soil, but the rocky soil it doesn't have any roots. It's not deep inside of you. It's just very shallow. And so he's talking about shallow Christianity where we allow the word of God, of God to come in, but we don't really buy into it. So then whenever a storm comes or the heat comes, we, we kind of wither up and die. But the one about weeds, as he explains this one, I thought it was interesting. In Matthew 13, 22, it says, And as for what was sown among the thorns, or weeds, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. There's a place in our life where we allow the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, it, it, another word for it is desires of life, we have all of these desires, and they become distractions to what God's trying to do in your life. Sin and desire can become a distraction to what God's trying to do. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. John's trying to tell us here, there's a distraction. There's a distraction. There are things that will distract you from what God's trying to do. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So if we're wanting to be devoted to something, one of the things we've got to do is learn how to get rid of the distractions. And one of those distractions is weeds. It's, it's sin, it's desires, it's things that are not of God. It's things that are of the world that constantly pull our attention away. One of the things I've noticed, even as I was a youth pastor and, um, and as a pastor, is, is you can always tell when something's not right with somebody. My dad used to always say, and I always thought that was, was funny, we used this example a few months back, but um, I was in a church, we were in a church one time that not only had seats like this, but then had a balcony with seats going back up in the balcony. Who, who's been in churches with balconies? Well, yeah, okay. Balconies are the worst. Um, because balconies, you can hide in the balcony and nobody knows you're back there, right? Some of you guys are smiling because you're like, yeah, that's what I used to do. Um, so my dad used to always say when someone's all fired up for God and they're, they're devoted to Christ and they're ready to go, they're always down front, right? They're always these front row people. But then over time, you see them when something starts to distract them and, and, and you can tell something's not quite right with this guy. There's something going on. You see them start to move further and further back in the church, and then all of a sudden they go from the back row to the balcony. And he used to always say, once you hit the balcony, you're basically gone. Like that's it, it's over, right? And it's funny, and, and some of you guys are sitting on the back row and you're feeling bad now and you want to move up to the front, but you don't want to disrupt. And that's okay. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, it, it doesn't really matter where you sit, but it does matter your heart. And, and that's one of the things we started noticing when we saw people begin to slip further and further back. You could always go ask them what was going on in their life, and they would tell you everything's fine. But in reality, there was some kind of weed in their life, generally, generally. When I was a youth pastor, I saw the same thing happen. I would see I would see these kids. They would be so fired up for God. They'd be so fired up about school or about witnessing, about doing whatever. And then all of a sudden, you would see, you would see some kind of weed begin to grow in their life. Something begin to happen, and you begin to talk to them, and you find out there's some kind of sin or some kind of desire that has distracted them from what God wants them to do. The second distraction is the distraction of waves. There's a really cool story in Matthew chapter 14. The Bible says the disciples are out in a boat. And there's a storm always, always. Like, if you read through the New Testament... If I were a disciple, I would never get in a boat again. If Jesus was like, hey, guys, get in a boat. Let's get to the other side. I'm like, no, I'm good, fam. We'll we'll go around. That lake's not that big. I can get on a horse and ride around. I don't need to get in a boat with you, Jesus, because every time we get in a boat, a storm comes up, and I think I'm going to die. That happens every time they're in a boat. Either that or they go fishing, they can't catch a thing. Either way, the disciples and boats do not mix. So Matthew chapter 14, here's what the Bible says. Uh, they're, they're out in the water, they're out in the water on the boat, but Jesus isn't with them, right? He lets them get be in the storm by themselves this time. But the Bible says Jesus walks on the water. And as he's walking on the water, the Bible actually says, one verse says, that he was going to walk past them. Like he wasn't even going to get on the boat with them because he knew, he knew how they are in boats. And they're always crying and whining. And so he was going to walk on past them, but they saw him, they busted him. Have you ever had that moment? Or you see someone at Walmart that you used to be friends with, but you're not really friends with them anymore. And you want to just kind of walk past them, right? And you try to walk past them and all of a sudden you hear your name called, nobody, I'm the only one. Okay, awesome. Some of y'all will be like, I called you at Walmart yesterday and you didn't turn around. So, so the Bible says that Jesus walks on the water and Peter notices it. In verse 28, the Bible says this. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, I'm like, who else would it be, Peter? (laughs) Like, really? If it's you, command me to come out on the water. And he said, okay, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and the Bible says he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So not only can sin and desire be a a distraction to us, but fear and doubt can be a distraction to us. We can allow fear and doubt to be a huge distraction to us. It can draw us off of what we're supposed to be looking at. Now, I've been talking a lot about healing today and, and people needing a healing People in my family needing a healing. People in you also family needing healing. Listen, all you need is one bad doctor's report. And fear and doubt will creep in and distract you from the possibility of what God can do. We cannot allow fear and doubt. Peter is literally walking on water. An amazing miracle. An amazing feat. I mean, he's walking to Jesus. And he looks and he sees wind and waves and begins to get scared and drowns. And that's what happens to us whenever we begin to allow fear and doubt to creep in. It distracts us. It distracts us from what God's really trying to do. How many times have we not gone to church? How many times have we not gone to someone's house? How many times have we not witnessed? How many times have we not read our Bible because of fear and doubt? How many times have we not prayed because, oh God, it probably won't work anyway? Well, it definitely won't work if you don't pray. But we allow fear and doubt to creep in and it distracts us. The third one, and this is the one that's going to get me, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm probably not preaching to anybody in here except myself. But y'all get to be a part of it. Welcome to my life. The third distraction is the distraction of work. So we've got weeds that will distract us, that's sin, that's desires. So we've got waves that will distract us, that's fear and that's doubt. But the third one is the distraction of work. The distraction of work. There's a, there's a place in the Bible in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is going to go hang out with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're all siblings and Martha has this house, and everybody's going to Martha's house to hang out and have dinner. And, and Martha reminds me a lot of my family. Like, if any of you ever said, I want to come to your house tomorrow, um, just know you have ruined my evening, right? Because I'm going to be up cleaning, not by my choice. I don't care if you see a dirty house, but my wife does not want you to see a dirty house. So we're going to be up cleaning until about midnight, Right. If you say you're coming over tomorrow, we're going to clean till midnight tonight and then you can come over tomorrow. And so my life is ruined because of you. Miss <laughs> Sarah the other day said, Gabriel, can I bring you some lunch? And I was like, absolutely. You can bring me some lunch or dinner, or whatever it was she was bringing us. And I was hoping that she wouldn't come while Perry was there. But she did. She did. She called Perry, she said, hey, I'll be over there in about 30 minutes. And what did we do for the next well, hour, because Miss Sarah was late. For the next hour, we cleaned. We cleaned and we cleaned and we cleaned and we scrubbed the baseboards. And I said, Perry, she probably won't even come inside. And, and I was hoping that she wouldn't, but she did. And so we cleaned that house just so someone can walk in with a Tupperware full of spaghetti and set it on the counter and leave. I don't even know where I'm talking about anymore. Luke chapter 10. Now they went on their way Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Where was Mary sitting? At Jesus's feet. She's listening to his teaching. But Martha, there's always a but, right? And the but is Martha. But Martha was distracted with much serving And she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Let me tell you what some of the biggest distractions in our life is, is we get distracted by the work. As a pastor, I get distracted by the service. Sometimes I think that church is all about you. And so I've got to make sure that everything is just right before you walk in. And I'll go through and I get super OCD. And I want to make sure all the chairs are lined up. I want to make sure that, 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 I mean, you'll look around. You'll see stickers on the floor telling me where to put the chairs in rows. You know why that's there? Because I'm crazy. That's why that's there. And I want all the roads to be straight. I want everybody to be comfortable. I get in here early. I make sure the air is turned on, even though it doesn't work all the time. I at least turn it on for you because I want you to be comfortable. We worry about the lights and we worry about the sound. And and the whole time during worship, there are are moments when I get so distracted during worship when, when they don't do the words right or they don't do the lights right or they don't do the sound right. And I get distracted and I get worried and I get upset. I'm always thinking through my sermons and, and, and is the sermon all serious? Is there a little bit of funny to kind of break up the serious? Is it, does it flow right? Does it look right? Is everything the way it's supposed to be? And I can get very distracted trying to think the service is about you or think the service is about me. But in reality, it's not about any of us. It's about Jesus. Martha is a lot like me. There's always a but. And it was Martha in that story. And it's me here. Right? Why? Because I can get so distracted by all the work that goes into doing something, and I forget the reason we're here is Jesus. The reason we're here is to sit at his his feet. Do we want the lights to work? Yes, we want the lights to work. Do we want the sound to work? Absolutely. We want things to work. That's good. But at what cost? Having excellence for excellence's sake, but missing Jesus isn't worth it? It's not worth it. We need Jesus more than we need anything else. Sometimes you, you and I will do the same thing. Well, we think that our church attendance or our church service is what gets us into heaven. It's not that, it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. The more you do, God's not in heaven being like, oh, yeah, let's keep a track of everything that Bobby does. Well, he you know, served in the nursery today, and he spoke on the speaking team today, and he did this. God doesn't, God's probably looking saying, how much, how much is Bobby devoted to me? And does he love me? I see all this stuff he's done, and that's great. But if he doesn't love me, if he doesn't know me, then it doesn't matter. All the stuff you do doesn't matter. The Bible says that in Matthew, there's a story Jesus tells. And he says, there's going to come a time at the end where I'm going to judge the earth. And when I judge the earth, I'm going to separate everybody out. And he he says, there's going to be people that are going to come up to me. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we did all these great things. We cast out demons. We healed the sick. we, We prophesied. We did all the things in your name. And Jesus is going to look at them. And he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. You did a lot of work. But you didn't love me. You weren't devoted to me. You were devoted to your service. You were devoted to church, not to the person who who the church is founded on. You were devoted to the pastor, but you weren't devoted to the person that the pastor was preaching about. It can't be about anything but Jesus first, first and foremost. So let me end with this thought. There's got to be a source of our devotion. There's got to be a reason. If you're going to be devoted to something so strongly that nothing distracts you, there's got to be something powerful driving that devotion. Some of you guys have, have had incredible journeys of... Fitness and, and, and weight loss, and you know how you got went from unhealthy to healthy, and I've, I've heard some of those stories, and it's really, really cool, but but most of the time there's some kind of driving force behind it. I read a couple of stories I just I'll throw a couple of them out there. I think they 're kind of cool. One of them was um, kind of funny this lady she was she was very overweight and, and um, she wanted to get married, and she found out that to buy a dress in the size that she needed was too expensive. And she couldn't afford it. And she said, she talked to her fiance, and, and they decided to set out on this journey of fitness. And they began to, to eat right, and they began to work out. And she lost like 100 pounds and was able to get the dress that she really wanted. But, but the dress ended up becoming a driving force for fitness. It's interesting. And so she kept a picture of the dress. So anytime that she wants to go to McDonald's, she looks at the picture of that dress and she's like, I can choose the dress or McDonald's. I got to choose one or the other. It was a driving force. There's a story, another story that I read about a man who was extremely unhealthy and and he, uh, he had, was beginning the, the beginning stages of liver disease and diabetes and um, heart, heart disease. All these things begin to happen to him. And um, and, as a, and I think he was a doctor on, on top of all that. All these things begin to happen to him. And then all of a sudden, his sister gets cancer. And when his sister gets cancer, it's a bad report. And he realizes that if she were to pass away, that his kids, I mean her kids, would have no one to take care of them except for him. And he said, I've got to stay alive. I've got to be healthy to take care of my nieces and nephews. So that, that love for them began to become, become a driving force for him to be, begin to become healthy and he begin to exercise and eat right, all the things that you do to get healthy. I just thought it was very interesting that there was this one driving force. It wasn't just, I want to look good, because I'm going to be honest with you. If your driving force is just to look good, there are certain stages of looking good, Right? There are some, some stages, and if you're a man, it's different than a woman. Men, we always think we look good. I mean, I'm straight bald, and I can look in the mirror, and I'm like, you look good today. I ain't got no hair. I know I don't look good, but my brain tells me I am. And so, that, so men are different, but, but we have these different stages. So if it's just superficial, if it's just superficial, there's no real driving force for devotion. And the same is true with our following of Christ. If it's just superficial, we just want to fit in with the crowd. We want to fit in with our culture. There's no driving force because when the winds come you're going to fear and you're going to doubt. When the desire and the sin comes you're going to get choked out. So what's the driving force behind us? See these these Christians are being murdered. These early Christians are getting murdered. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew crucified on an X. John was boiled in oil survived and then thrown on an island by himself, the island they used for garbage. It's amazing to see what these guys went through, right? It's amazing to see what was the driving force behind their devotion. The driving force was Matthew 22, 36 through 38. Someone came up to Jesus and they said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Another version says, with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. Love is a motivating factor behind our devotion. A love for Christ. Let me break that verse down real quick. It says love. The word love there means it's agape. It's a Greek word for love. We've been through this a million times. You know, uh, most of you have heard me say uh, that, that... there are multiple Greek words for love. The word agape is probably the most powerful of the Greek words for love. Eros means romantic love. Phileo, like Philadelphia, means brotherly love or friendship. But agape means unconditional love. Agape means a chosen kind of love or a preferred love in other words agape isn't just something you fall into and you fall out of agape is something that you choose i can choose between this and that i choose agape every time and so so he says this he says listen what's the most important thing you can ever do it's to agape to love god unconditionally the other thing it says there is it says with all your heart soul mind and another version says strength What we do as preachers sometimes is we do you a disservice because I'll sit here and preach a whole message on what does it mean to love God with all your heart? What does it mean to love God with all your mind? What does it mean to love God with all your strength? But I think sometimes when I read this again, I think Jesus isn't necessarily saying, here are the different areas of love in your life. I think he's saying, you got to love him with everything you got. Everything you've got, you got to love him. Unconditionally preferred all that you have you got to love him from your very deepest core of who you are. You love him with everything you've got. Our number one source of devotion is our love for Jesus. When you love Jesus with an agape kind of love, you'll do anything for him. I know I've got to get us out of here. But the Bible says that Peter really screwed up, man. He really screwed up. He denied Christ three times before Jesus died. And and after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that he's having breakfast. Like Jesus went fishing, caught a bunch of fish. He's cooking the fish. Peter shows up. When Peter shows up, he comes up to Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. In other words, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me unconditionally with everything that you've got? And Peter said, you're my best friend. We're really good buddies. And that's sometimes what we do to Christ is we say he's a really good friend. But you know what you'll do to a really good friend? You'll deny him whenever the the sun gets too hot. When the wind and the waves come, you'll leave him. But whenever you agape somebody, you give them everything you've got, no matter what happens in your life, no matter the circumstances, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what the bank report is, you're going to give them everything you've got. These disciples are being hung up on on stakes and set on fire as torches for for uh, for Caesar's parties. They're being thrown into a den uh, into where the gladiators were into the arenas and they're being fed to lions and bears and tigers. They're, they're being destroyed and dismembered and they're not giving up. Why? Because of their love and their devotion. Why don't you stand up with me today? There's a place I didn't go into today where Peter is being a distraction as usual. This whole message ends up being about Peter. He's a distraction as usual. And Jesus actually says to him, get behind me, Satan. Like Jesus calls him out. And Jesus tells him, he says, you're being a hindrance. You're being a distraction right now. And then Jesus says in the next, in the next passage, he says this in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? That word follow means to cleave steadfastly to someone, to conform wholly to his example in living and in dying if need be. Everything we've read today is we got to be devoted to something. We got to be devoted to something. We can't be living in distraction. We got to be devoted. What are we devoted to? We're devoted to Christ. And everything else that we do, small groups, fellowship, church attendance, prayer, worship, teachings, all those things flow from a motivating factor of agape love. I love God with everything I've got, so if you ask me to pray, I'll do it. I love God with everything I've got. So if you ask me to show up, I'll be there. If you ask me to read my Bible, I'll read it. If you want me to worship, I'll worship. Why? Because I'm so in love with Christ. Even though the doctor told me a bad report doesn't matter. I'm not going to let that distract me from what I'm focused on, what I'm devoted to. Amen? We're going to pray this morning. And and I'm going to ask if my folks will come down and anybody they've got for prayer today will come down. And, And you may need prayer this morning. We do this every Sunday. Every Sunday. This isn't new. This isn't special. This is every Sunday. And here's what I want to explain to you. Don't be distracted today by the crowd. Don't be distracted by fear. Don't be distracted by embarrassment. If you need prayer for anything this morning, we want to pray with you. Maybe you're not a Christ follower today. Maybe you've allowed sin, you've allowed desire To choke out the word of God that's in you. The the, the path that God has for you. Now's your opportunity to get that right. Now's your opportunity to let someone pray with you. And encourage you. And hold you up. So I'm going to just pray real quick. And then I'm going to ask you if you need prayer for anything. Slip out of your seats and come down to the front. Lord I pray right now for everybody in this room. I just pray that you give us boldness and courage today. I thank you today that we are going to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be Christians, we're not going to be cultural, we're going to be devoted. And so today we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts, to to impress on our lives this agape love that we need to have for you. Help us today to live for you without distraction. And when we do get distracted, I pray that we we would get ourselves back on track, we'd get our eyes back where they need to be, that we would find someone to pray with us and hold us up. We love you so much, in Jesus' name. As Pastor Jonathan sings, I want you to slip out of your seat, come down to the front for prayer if you need prayer for anything, and then we'll dismiss in just a few minutes.